Hello and welcome to the Berman Hour podcast and the Into Oblivion series presented by punknews.org. I am your host, Jeff Berman. I am the singer-songwriter behind Divided Heaven. And Divided Heaven has a new record out on February 4th, 2022, entitled Oblivion. And this Into Oblivion series features conversations with the various personnel that I worked with on this wonderful new record. Now, before we go any further... The Berman Hour podcast is a fan-supported and listener-supported podcast. There is a link at the bottom of this podcast description that you can click on if you are so inclined to want to help cover some of the production costs for this podcast. You can also just PayPal me, dividedheaven at gmail.com. Every little bit helps. I will say thank you to those who have donated and thank you to those who have pre-ordered the new record already. You can pre-order the record from anywhere in the world by going to dividedheaven.com. It is going to be available through Gunner Records in the UK and Europe and AF Records in Canada and the United States. Now, my conversation this week is with my old friend and my old bandmate, Mike Bardzik, who is an engineer and producer based in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. I recorded a number of vocals for this record at his studio. I also had him play drums. I mean, he's a drummer, first and foremost. I had him play drums on a song called Creep, which coincidentally is dropping later this week. It is the newest single from Oblivion. Creep was produced by Frank Turner. It features Frank's wife, Jess Guise, on guest vocals. It features Mike Bardzik on drums. And the song is about creepy dudes and bands who use the popularity of their bands to get away with being creeps. How about that? Is it about somebody in your record collection? Yes, it is. So I hope you enjoy Creep. Hope you enjoy the other singles as well. And I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Mike Bardzik. Let's get it. Mike Bardzik, how the hell are you? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I was doing some math before we hit the record button. Okay. So the new Divided Heaven record, Oblivion, which comes out February 4th, 2022, mm-hmm. is 10 songs. And I want to say that we recorded vocals for seven of those songs. Mm. Wow. Okay. I would have said one of them. Five. Yeah. One of them was just like some adding some stuff that should have been there, but wasn't there. And then the yeah. rest was like everything. Okay. Yeah. And then you also recorded drums on the track Creep. Which I had forgotten about. Do you remember recording drums on that no. song? When was this? <laughs> like I played them. You played the drums and recorded them. <laughs> and recorded them. <laughs> I have no memory of this. I believe. Oh you. my goodness, that's funny. Uh, yeah, but I I uh, shudder to think where I would be in this process had we not worked together on yeah. this. You know, like okay. I reached out to you last summer. I had moved back to Pennsylvania, and I was like, I, I really need to get going on these songs. Mm-hmm. And I, we had two sessions. I remember we had September 1st and December 1st of wow. last year, and we got all that shit done, which I'm sure for you is pretty par for the course, but for me, that is not good. Yeah. Like, normally, I'm like really nervous. 
mm-hmm. in the vocal booth and I'm mm-hmm. like overthinking it. So I think I way over prepared or in my okay. mind, I over prepared, okay. but anyway, you know, I mean, we you're also... more, what I'm saying is you're more of a crucial part to this record than I realized. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, you know, maybe you'll get some royalties. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Uh, but what what do you you just said your memory shit? But do you remember anything about us just kind of chugging through these marathon days? To get I remember stuff done? I remember doing the vocal sessions, um, and yeah, I mean they were like you said they were sort of par for the course. But I tend to work really fast anyway with everything I do. You know, I'm not super precious about, and not meaning I don't work hard at at things with people, but um, I like to get things done, you know, and, mm-hmm. and plow through stuff. If it even means like maybe at a later date, someone has to come back and redo something. I'd rather kind of get through things and, and be like, okay, we've accomplished this. And like, this is where we're at at this moment, you know? Um, and like I said, maybe we have to revisit things, but I'd say, especially when it comes to vocals, like rarely, that rarely happens. So, um, but I remember, I remember they were, they were, decent days of work and that you were tired by the end because um, singing's tough you know yeah I, I hadn't played a show in so long yeah and i hadn't really i mean i you know i had a makeshift little vocal booth here at my new house mm-hmm. but I, I i hadn't really done it properly where it was like gonna count and yeah. i remember i texted you after that first day and i had a literal pain in my neck i couldn't move my neck because i was so <laughs> I was contorting my body to to reach certain notes that mm-hmm. I don't know, and I think that's kind of emblematic of this whole record in a lot of ways. Is that yeah. the style of songs, the lyrics, the songwriting approach, everything was kind of a stretch outside of my comfort zone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore I think it it makes for a really interesting record. Yeah, but you're very you're a very gentle guiding hand for people who are in the vocal booth. Is, has anyone told you that before? Um, yes and no. So I've, I've heard that, I mean, I've heard it in the way that people are like, oh, I love doing vocals with you. It's, it's, you know, always a great experience and you're good. You give good feedback and stuff, but, and I guess it kind of depends on the person's personality, et cetera. But, but I've also been told that I, um, I'll just tell it like it is. Like if it sucks, I'll just be like, that sucked. Do it again. Instead of like, Hey man, you know, like <laughs> maybe we could try, you know? So, so I, I think I hear a little bit of both from people. Like they like my straightforwardness about things, but I, I guess I do do a good job at, at uh, guiding things along in a gentle manner. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but is, was that something that you developed because honesty is good. Like mm-hmm. anybody who's not honest in the studio is, is when they're in the engineer production chair is, I think, kidding themselves. Sure. But that part-time therapist that you have to play, mm-hmm. or at least that's how I approach it. Sure. <clears throat> when you're in the production chair or the engineer chair and you have to be that part-time therapist, was that something that developed along with your actual engineering and production skills? Yeah, absolutely. And and just over years of like um dealing with lots of lots of different people and singers and and more than anything and this isn't saying like you but egos, you know? Like trying to manage people's egos is maybe the most challenging and difficult thing because you kind of have to figure them out, especially I mean, 
I know you. So it wasn't like something I had to figure out, but with some people I'm like, Oh man, how am I going to, and not in some like evil Machiavellian way, but like, how am I going to figure out how to get this person to do what I need them to do? You know what I mean? To get the end result we need. Um, There's a lot of that. And, and I'd say 90% of the time, it's totally cool. People are great. They're easy to work with and they're, they're willing to, to do what they need to do to, to get that done. But sometimes you get, those people that are like, well, this is the way I do it. And this is what I want it to be. And, and you might not that I, you know, I I like to try to get people's vision, but sometimes they're clouded by their own egos, I guess is what I'm saying. So you have to kind of massage things into a way that they can, you know, see it differently or get it done differently. You know? Yeah. When you say the word ego, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm kind of doing a mental roll call. Like, well, Divided Heaven is my project. Yeah. I have a podcast with my fucking name on it. it now, now don't get a, me wrong. I'm doing a podcast series within that podcast about my new record where right. I'm interviewing everybody I work with. The, but this is, this is partially partially <laughs> like promotion, you know, you know, based as well. But, but I, when I say ego, I don't necessarily say that in a bad way. I think ego is an important thing to have or else half of us wouldn't do what we do you know yeah um, no, i'm just but, taking but a it, piss out of myself but i think that's something that you are very good at is because you have that i know what peter marullo and i would call that like pennsylvania like straightforward demeanor mm-hmm. yeah 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 but i think you know anyone especially if you're a singer you got to have some ego but it's just when it gets in the way that's all that's what i meant right which it does sometimes so is it different for every project where you're trying to balance your role between simply an engineer and a producer? And do Absolutely. bands approach you with saying, this is what we want you for, keep your opinions to yourself sort of thing? Like, how does that work? Yeah, it's completely different. I would say most of the people that come in here want my opinion. That's why they come to me. I'm not like a, you know, I don't, I don't advertise the studio at all. It's not. It's not like, um, you know, in the, the phone book or anything or in ads. So anyone that's coming to me has been is, is someone I personally know or is a reference from somebody else. So so anyone right. coming here, you know, for the most part, wants me along with the, the recording job. Um, but that being said, I'm completely happy to, you know, just kind of like I, I do lately I've had this whole like barrage of like pop acts coming in like straight up like you know I don't even know the kind of music what I call pop music like 21st Spears. century pop music which is different than yeah you know, the Cindy yeah. Lauper's that we grew up with right so I've had a lot of that coming in lately and the one client she has like a producer and stuff so I just record her vocals and we work really hard at getting like fantastic vocals with good emotion and stuff but I know that producer has like their own vision. So I kind of just record and make sure she's in pitch and, and get emotion and stuff in about an hour. I'm starting a session with another pop guy and you know, that's him and I working together on it. Nobody else involved. So I'm pretty heavy handed with, you know, ideas and stuff like that. So yeah, it it just completely depends, you know, on the project. I'm going to be surprised if you say yes to this question because you don't strike me as the type. But do you keep a collection or even just a mental Rolodex of releases that you've worked on? 
a mental collection yeah kind of well i guess <laughs> so I much comes out digitally it's not it's yeah not the same especially as, yeah. nowadays i don't you know what i tend to kind of post on like my instagram page like the releases but i don't have most of the physical releases sure um, even sure. honestly some of the biggest records i've done i don't even have copies of so well let's talk about that i mean my guess i think it's a safe assumption that you've probably landed a lot of work because of the work that you did with sprainard of course yeah was that sprainard record the biggest record you've ever done um i mean that i've probably solely done maybe um okay you know i've worked on some other things that i guess were quote bigger or whatever um well like what i'm I'm, because i'm curious okay so so i got um but this was through sprainard of course um yeah the uh the most I guess the last record that um, Joyce Manor put out mm-hmm. um, at the time, the drummer from Sprainerd was their drummer. And, uh, you know, they, they were looking to have someone like quote, produce their vocals. Um, so Dose was like, Hey, I know this guy, he did a great job on our record. So they called me up. I had a conversation um, with the dudes and, you know, they hired me to produce their vocals for their last record. So, Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so wait, that was very cool. But that's wait, did they probably... come to Pennsylvania to do this? No, they they did it with Kurt Ballou, the okay. record in, um, in Boston. So I went up there and spent a week up there with those guys and Kurt and did it up there. So oh, that was cool. a lot of fun for me, um, both to work at like a very, very cool studio and meet Kurt. And, you know, also like, so my name's on this record, which again, I don't have a copy of, but somewhere out there is this record where, where my name is next to Kurt Belews as well as um, it was mixed by Andrew Sheps. Who, oh, you, okay. Yeah. If you don't know, he's done like Metallica, <laughs> like yeah. chili peppers, <clears throat> Adele and things like that. So I well, shout like, out to uh, Jeff Abarta, otherwise known as Jeff Ataf, otherwise known from the no effects song, Jeff oh, right. Birkenstocks who works at Epitaph, who's a friend of mine and okay. a listener of the show. So, Jeff Ataf, if you're listening, send our boy Mike Bardzik, you know, the new Joyce Manor record. That would be That's cool. the least you can do. <laughs> May I just but, say, by the way, that Epitaph and is the only label, except maybe one other, that ever paid me. Like, they paid me so fast that, like, it was shocking. <laughs> nice. And that's just awesome because most labels, you have to go, like, begging for your money. So Right. That was, that was like a fantastic experience in every way. Yeah. Anything else beyond the, the Joyce Manor Sprainer thing that people might know um, that people might've heard and not realize that you had to touch on it? I don't know. Like I don't do that many big things. I worked on um, a couple CKY records. Oh okay. um, yeah. They're local guys for where, yeah. cause you're in the Westchester, Pennsylvania area. Exactly. So and the Jess, point. the drummer Jess is a friend of mine and he lives pretty much down the street um so it's convenient for him to come over here and you know so i've done drums on a bunch of stuff and some other things some bass and stuff like that so yeah um and then coming out i don't it's not out yet i don't think i actually have no idea when it's coming out but there's a band called bitter branches that's like a new band um and it's a bunch of like punk rock and hardcore like scene guys that have been around not an all-star band of sorts yeah yeah um <coughs> including tim singer from dead guy 
Um, okay. And I did that record also mixed by Kurt Ballou, which is pretty cool. Again, um, that's coming out on equal vision sometime soon, I think, but I don't really know when. Oh, cool. So that's pretty cool. What was the impetus behind you wanting to work on records? Because for those that don't know, you're a musician. Even yeah, though you don't yeah. remember playing drums on my record, you did. And you've been <laughs> you've been a drummer forever. You play the keys in, in uh, Duffy's Cut, yeah, great band. Yeah. So you're a musician through and through. Absolutely. And, and that that's where definitely where it started for me. Yeah. Um, and like everybody when they're young, they like want to be a rock star and stuff. And I think you know, as I as I kind of got older through my twenties, and I realized my my level of of ability was probably not going to get me there through that or luck or whatever, but um, or bandmates, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but I mean, it was it was. I think it was more of like I think when I was younger, I was like, I'm going to be a drummer, like in drumming all these different bands and like be of that level, like a Jared Shavelson kind of thing, or mm-hmm. you know, and and I just didn't have a the drive or the or the ability i guess to to do that um but in any case the very first time i walked into a studio which was like 1991 i think or 92 and it was like a crappy little eight track you know studio i I shouldn't say crappy little it was actually a cool little spot um but i just knew i was like oh this is awesome this is for me like i just all the knobs and buttons and the, the ability to manipulate sounds um you know did you learn like through osmosis kind of just being around or did you go to school for it never went to school for it i went to college but not for recording at all um you went to elizabethtown college i did yep weirdest place on earth i just drove by it the other day and i was was reminded that you had went there right next to hershey pa that people will know yeah ironically i have on ocean blue shirt Maybe the only band ever from Hershey, PA that's famous that made it. Um, yeah. No one probably knows them. They're like a 90s. Well, they were like a, they had hits in the 90s, I should say. But they're an amazing, like, dream pop band, I guess. Um, oh, cool. From Hershey, PA. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so so it just kind of, it kind of, like, morphed. I, I knew I wanted to get into recording, but I didn't... Th- at that point in time, there weren't really schools, at least not the way there are now. Yeah. Sure. Um, and, and I, it just never was like a thing like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to school for recording. I just didn't even know how you get into it. I had no clue, you know? Well, then how so, did you start making records for bands? Uh, my buddy, Eric, who, you know, Eric Victor from creep oh, sure. records, uh, started a studio in his basement. Um, and was just like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this with you. It was literally that simple because I wanted to do it. So we just kind of figured out whatever we did, you know, just, just by doing it made a lot of bad records, made a lot of really cool records, but, um, it was literally as simple as that. You know, (laughs) I'm glad you said that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, come on, you know, it still happens every once in a while. Not everything I do is gold. But, um, do you still like kind of uh, do research and kind of try to learn new things, or do you think, all right, Berman's coming in, he has a nasally voice. Here's what I'm going to do with the microphone, and here's what I'm going to do with placement in order to better capture this. I or, say this I drummer's think, got yeah. this, so I'm going to do this. Like, do you think about like are you always building upon your knowledge with mic placement or gear or anything like that, or do you kind of stick with what you know that's worked for you? 
a little bit of both, you know, okay. I, I always like consider, you know, like when, when I know Jeff's coming in, I'll, I'll think about your voice and the microphones I have and what mic might suit you best. Um, in that case, it's not like I had to go research, you know, cause I have a lot of microphones already, so I know what they do and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, sure. I'm always reading stuff and always like listening to interviews with people and, um, you can, I can always get better. Absolutely. You know, I hear records all the time and I'm like, how the hell do they do that? <laughs> so you just dated yourself a little bit. You walk okay. into a studio for the first time. There's an eight track in there. It's 1991. Yeah. You're dealing with analog. You're dealing yes. with tape. Yep. Was the process, what was the process of learning that? And then can you speak to the transition into digital? Because I have, I have a specific memory of you kind of in that that progression that i sure, want to share sure. but um when when you learn analog it wasn't like learning anything special because that's just the way it was there wasn't digital technology so it wasn't like oh i have to like learn this hard tape machine like you just did it it wasn't yeah. a retrofitted thing to learn for the sake of being right cool. right yeah it just would it, it was just the only way to record so um it wasn't I don't know, any more difficult or anything. I think I probably had a more difficult transition and maybe this is what you're referencing to digital. Um, I feel like the early digital recordings I did were pretty awful because <laughs> I still was trying to manipulate it in the way I would a tape machine. I didn't fully grasp things. I, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, how, how so? Like what, from somebody who's of your age, yeah, who was making that transition, yeah, and now still doing it, I I feel like there's probably a, a sea of engineers and producers that might have either said, I'm not getting into this, or they checked out maybe and pivoted to a different career path. Like, Or do you yeah, think that most people did what you did where you kind of think, dedicated think, and learned a new craft? Yeah, I mean, it's not a totally new craft. It was more about the crappy digital at the time. You know, the, the early right. like 16 and 20 bit, ADAT kind of stuff or in my case I had this like my first digital thing was like a Mackie hard disk recorder and it just sounded bad you know um so I think in in like trying it was it was the conversion really the early converters were just awful um now you can buy like a really inexpensive you know $150 uh Focusrite you know, little interface and it sounds great, you know, um, or, or good at least. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, I think, I don't know. I got lost where we were at there. But. Well, here's what I was going to say. Yeah. I have a vivid memory of being in Hoboken, New Jersey with protagonist mm -hmm. and you and Eric Victor. Yeah. And who, and they wanted the both of you there because Blackout Records wanted them to record at Water Music Studios mm -hmm. in Hoboken, which is why we were there and we weren't at Creep Records. Right. But they wanted the Creep Records style of production, for lack of a better speak. So we all do an impression of Eric Victor, but mm -hmm. I have this memory of us walking out of that little bubble box that they had at that studio it was like that weird control room yeah yeah it was like the control room was kind of like this space station and then you walk out into the live room which was like yeah. mars so 
he walks out and he calls you on the phone and he goes, Mike, dude, it's, dude, just like, dude, this Pro Tools thing, just, dude, we, we gotta get, dude, dude, we gotta get this thing. <laughs> Oh, Peter funny. and I are just dying of laughter because that's, you know, how Eric Victor speaks. Yeah. But was that record, the Hope and Rage record by Protagonist, which was recorded in 2002 and came out in 2003, was that part of bridging that gap between the old school analog and the new school digital? So not for me. Um, okay. The way that all went down for me was it was pretty interesting because that was like that record was probably one of the last things i ever did with eric um mm -hmm. i was kind of on my way out what what year did you say that was we were recording it i think it was december of 2002 okay oh interesting so i wonder if i was even anyway doesn't matter but my point being is yeah i was kind of like not sure what i was going to do at that point i was mm -hmm. pretty unhappy working at the creep studio more for personal reasons than anything else. Um, and just, just the direction that was going in. So I went, uh, you, you probably remember actually when I first met you, I went and just worked at a music store for a while and managed like a drum shop there. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't really recording for a couple years after that. So that was probably one of like the last things I was involved in. Oh, wow. um, and I just kind of bailed out on all of it for, I don't know, about two years until I had an opportunity to like I, I met a guy who had a space and that's the place you, you know, we spent a lot of time at with the Boyles. That place that was in the second floor of that building in Westchester. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So yeah, that's, it's funny. Cause so I didn't even get in, I mean, I had no very little recording gear at the time, just a couple preamps and microphones. So I was walking into this digital setup, this little studio that this guy had, um, and that was that hard disk recorder. So it was just the whole thing was a, a new kind of learning process for me because it was new gear, new console, digital stuff. It was it was definitely odd. But that that the the protagonist record was definitely the first time that I was witness to anything, you know, digital. And I think that record sounds great, although it was tracked to tape. We just, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was all tracked to tape. And then it was transferred over for some editing and overdubs and I, I don't remember what else. Yeah. Not sure that, yeah. Up. That record stands up still. That record yeah. still sounds good. Yeah. yeah. If my timeline and memory serve me correct, that was December of 2002. Okay. All of a sudden I'm, I'm playing in the boils at the time. I'm living in Washington DC, but I'm coming up to Westchester and Philly once a week to kind of take care of Boyle's practice mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. We had a new record that was coming out. So we were starting to ramp up touring and we had a tour of Japan right. booked. And, you know, it's one thing if you have, you know, a weekend where you're playing, you know, Syracuse and Utica and Binghamton or whatever. And mm -hmm. your drummer's like, oh, I can't make it. But when you have tickets to get to fucking Japan. Right. And, and our drummer, uh, a bailed for whatever reason mm. all of a sudden you and i are in a practice room together and we're working on these songs and i'm a very rhythmic guitar player like mm -hmm. i just can't just sit down with any drummer and play mm -hmm. punk rock i like i need to like watch what their feet do and i, I need to really kind of lock in mm -hmm. 
do you have like any memories of of that time period where it's like and I knew that you knew Greg, obviously you knew sure. Dave Sausage because everyone, you know, yeah. Mr. Infamous, like Dave Sausage, but we didn't really know each other very well. Uh, no. Do you have any memories of those first few rehearsals? I I, I remember meeting you the first time, which I don't know if you remember, which was in the, like I already referenced in the music store. You had walked in. I don't know if you guys were heading out for a show or something, and you had a Boils patch on, and I pointed to it. I was like, oh, the Boils. I know those guys. And you're like, yeah, I'm the guitar player. And I hadn't <laughs> known you, but I knew the band, you know, yeah. recorded them. And I was like, you are? Because I don't know you. And it was kind of a funny moment. Um, so that was our first actual meeting. And then uh, the first practices, I definitely think I remember being like, I'm in a little over my head here because, you know, it was a lot of songs to learn in, I don't know, I think it was 10 days or something. Yeah. Um, and for punk rock, th- those old Boyle's songs had a lot of on a dime time yeah, signature changes and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. I knew a good bit of it, but, you know, not knew it because I recorded it and I would like, but not to play it. You know, I'd never sat down and like played along with them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I definitely feel like I was in over my head a little bit. Um, I think that was my my biggest first impression, you know. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, I have another memory where you and I are sharing a bottle of rum. Okay, sounds about right. <laughs> on an airplane. Oh, on the plane. Yeah, I remember that. Ugh. And we're flying over Alaska, and like we're both wasted and i remember like when when you would get drunk back then like your demeanor <laughs> wouldn't change but like you had this perpetual smile like your lower mm-hmm. chin would come out and like this kind of glaze <laughs> would come over i called it the glaze the uh-huh. night glaze drunk and we were talking about uh the band hellbender yeah i love that band and i was like i i really like that song 222 and you go ah that's the kind of song that'll change your life. <laughs> and, then, and then the stewardess came up to us, and she, uh, a Japanese woman, and very delicate yet articulate, was like, "You need to be quiet. Uh, this is the this is the sleep time for everyone on the plane. Yeah. Uh, may I turn off the overhead lights? Like s- politely suggesting us, like you've had Shut too much because we just had this bottle on the fucking yeah. you know tray table yeah i remember dirty. i got it at the duty free shop <laughs> i was like oh huge bottle of rum i'm gonna, and and then like man that that bottle of rum kind of like set me off for the first couple of days in japan because i didn't really sleep on the plane even though i should have and then i remember we got to japan and i was so out of it cuz i didn't sleep properly it just it kind of like i was i was in a you know, traveling is always weird anyway, the jet mm-hmm. lag and stuff. And then I didn't sleep or I slept very little on the flight. So it was, uh, I was a mess for a day or so. That jet lag is a motherfucker. That was brutal. You've gone back, right? I've gone back twice. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm good. If I go to Europe and come back, like, yeah, I am fine. And it helped actually living in California because you would have so much of your day left. Yeah. Whereas, with you know landing at jfk or in philadelphia it's like you still have lost so much of your day especially yeah. when you're coming back from europe but man it's like that fucking coming back from japan and getting there yeah i don't it, even remember coming a couple home, days honestly. turnaround yeah what's that i don't remember coming home from that i remember 
the trip vividly and, and going, but like the coming home part is kind of out of my brain. I think, I think it was probably pretty uneventful, but. I know. Do you remember meeting Hammerfall at Narita? I do remember that. <laughs> I do remember that on the, on the train coming out uh, in Tokyo, right? I just remember the singer, he looks at Greg and he's like, well, I don't quite understand American punk bands listening to metal, but what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Greg's like, we like metal. Yeah. We like hardcore. We like, you know, Americana. It's just how it works. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, I have cool. a memory. I want to say the last show we played with Last Target, it was, I remember it was a sellout, which was made us feel really cool. Yeah. And after the show, there's like after parties after mm-hmm. every show, it's part of that culture. Right. And I remember you and I were talking and you said something. He's like, yeah, maybe like when I come home, this won't be such a temporary thing anymore. And I just remember thinking like, with all due respect to Warren, who was our drummer mm-hmm. at the time, I was just like, dude, yeah, it's yours. Like, don't talk <laughs> to anybody else. Like, no, Warren's out. I, I ain't having that guy no more. Like, That's if you funny. want the gig, the gig is yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember if I verbalized it or I said it to you with my drunken eyes. Right, but... right. Yeah, I don't remember that specifically, but that's great. Yeah, well, we had a good run Yeah. with doing stuff with the boils, and then we decided to kind of embark on a monstrous record. You know, like you always read about bands where they're like, we wrote 45 songs for right. this record and then dwindled yeah. it down, and you're just like, fuck off. But that's what we did yeah. for From the Bleachers, that last Boils LP. And looking back, I'm not convinced that it was the best use of our time. Oh, no. However. Not only that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, but I, I learned a lot about recording and kind of how things worked by watching you in those sessions, mm. in part because we had to track guitars and backing vocals and mm-hmm. whatever else I was doing for 35 fucking songs or whatever yep. it was. What I don't know. Do you do you look back at that time and you're just like, what the fuck? We just we needed a governor to tell us, yeah, to set us like beyond like. There there was a couple aspects to that when I look back, and I have because um, I don't know if you saw it. You probably the sausage put it together for vinyl. Yeah. Um. So we kind of like went back through it and revisited, and and you know, the biggest takeaway is that. Like you said, we should not have written all those songs and used them all because they're not all good. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely like songs on that record that we were and, and and in fairness, like Greg and I had had a lot of conversations at that point about just pushing ourselves musically and 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 with lyric writing and everything like for him um, just to try and, and see what else we could do. Um, cause you know, the Boils was a band for like, I mean, beyond you and me even, you know, for, yeah. I don't know how many years, like a long time. Um, so, so there was like a conscious decision and effort to fuck around, you know, and see what we come up with. Not all of it was good, but it was definitely a fun experience. And, 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 you know, we learned a lot from it, which is like, you need to edit yourself a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Shortly after that record came out, I left the band. Mm-hmm. It wasn't entirely acrimonious, but I would—I didn't burn the bridge, but I didn't really do anything to nurture it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I had a lot of resentment towards the three of you 
because mm-hmm. of how that recording process just took so long and mm-hmm. I felt like the focus wasn't on our strength, which was right. playing really good shows and doing smart tours. Yeah. But and just being a punk rock band. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I said, we tried a lot of stuff on that, you know? And not all of it. Not that it's not in the punk rock genre, but it wasn't all good, you know. I like I like a lot of the stuff. I think not all, but some of the reggae kind of stuff that we did was really cool. Um, but some of the stretches where I pushed Greg to write a little bit different lyrically, I think fell flat. And I think he agrees with that. Yeah. That kind know. of ran its course. It, it ran its yeah. course for me. You, yeah. you stuck around in that band for uh, maybe another year or so. Did, was it the same thing? It just kind of ran its course for you? Um. For me, it was it was a, a number of different things. We had gone through like member changes, and it just got harder and harder and harder to kind of keep it together. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, I think we were all going through some things. Um, there was a lot of substances involved, and that never turns into positive, you know. things in a group band sort of uh, of thing and and honestly for me um once dave left dave sausage you know greg to this day is one of my best friends so it it wasn't a problem with him on a personal level but as far as dealing with the band it just became i was i was essentially like a babysitter with this whole group of people yeah i didn't like or want that job um and it just kind of, it, it just became difficult, you know? Um, so when I left, it was kind of the same thing, you know? It wasn't acrimonious in any way, but I didn't leave it the best way. And and obviously, I'm friends with all those people to this day, including you, know, you everybody in the band. Yeah. Was, so it's fine. It, it's not like it was a fuck you kind of thing, but um, it was definitely, definitely sucked when I left, you know, personally. So in so much as it was a hard decision to make or it... a hard decision to make. Well, yes and no hard. Like I was, I, but when I left, I was like, I'm done. You know, I don't want to yeah. do this anymore. Um, but it was, it was, it was tough personally. Like I said, Greg's one of my best friends. I love all those guys, you know, everybody that we played with, we had, we had like some of the best times. So like the stuff that happens, I've come to realize in bands is like, it's all just bullshit of the moment, really. You know, at least for yeah. me, I've never had like any major problems with any one person, you know, that I'm like, oh, fuck this person, you know, so. Yeah, there's a song on Oblivion called Baby in the Band mm-hmm. that I wrote about my experience with you guys mm-hmm. and my experience with the statics in so much as I was significantly younger. I mean, yeah. I'm not trying to make you guys sound. That's no, not no. what I meant. But I was like. In, in terms of like a music scene, I was like the next generation down mm-hmm. from you and Greg and even from Tim, the singer of the Statics and, yeah. and my old bandmates. And I realized that a lot of the tension that existed, at least between Greg Boyle and I, kind of stemmed from like my lack of control over things mm-hmm. and my inability to my lack of diplomacy Mm -hmm. to be able to channel that into something positive for the band. Yeah. 
because I felt like things would kind of end up in Greg's lap. And then the direction it went from there was something that I didn't agree with or didn't want to do or, mm-hmm. you know, something as, as serious as I'm pissed at you because you don't want to tour and something as silly as I don't want to perform songs about the Philadelphia Flyers. That's mm-hmm. just not my thing. But it was something that I felt like I carried with me, almost like a bag of rocks. Mm, yeah. Um, like, uh, well, we do. It, we all do that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. every everything in your life, every relationship. It's like, you know, people talk, use the word baggage and that's, that's what it becomes, you know? Yeah. If, if it isn't worked out at some point, you know, in one way or another. Yeah. But I, you know, I ended up writing that song and started writing it in, in 2018, mm-hmm. um, the beginning of 2018, and then recorded it in, in Belgium later that year. But I would say those t- all the touring that full band divided heaven did, after I wrote that song and kind of worked through that mm-hmm. were better. I mean, I think a lot of what I was doing whenever divided heaven was in a full band capacity, a lot of the decisions that I made or that my rationale for things would yeah. stem back to net what I viewed as negative experiences from that time. Sure. When we were together mm-hmm. and it was, a uh, so in a lot of ways, I think that song kind of opened me up to understand. Cause all of a sudden I was the elder statesman in the band and I was looking after these, Mm-hmm. people who were in the musical generation or the scene generation below me or right. after me. Um, and it was kind of weird how that, that came full circle. You're now, you know, like well-established in the Philadelphia, Westchester area mm-hmm. as an engineer and as a producer, your studio is called noisy little critter. Mm-hmm. What is, you know, like what is next for you in terms of how you expect growth for what you're doing with the studio or are you more in a let's let's keep it linear let's keep it consistent sort of uh mentality yeah huh that's an interesting question i've never i am not (laughs) i am not like the most driven person (laughs) now i'm really not honestly like that being said like i i don't I don't, and I've never wanted to like be in New York, LA. I could probably find myself living in Nashville on a personal level, but as far as like my career or whatever, I've never wanted to like go do those things. Even Philadelphia. I don't want to be in Philadelphia. I like being out in the suburbs. I like space around me and trees and, you know, um, probably to the detriment of my, again, career. But like for me, it's more important that, I have the life I want and then my career is second, you know? So, um, as f- I definitely would like to keep things as they are, like the linear approach is great because things are okay. You know, not mm-hmm. as good as they were pre pandemic, but I'm, I'm fine. Pay the bills, you know, um, f- on a, a completely like personal level. I'm like I said earlier, I'm always trying to make my recordings better always trying to just do a better job at what I do, you know? Um, so the focus for you is really on the work. Always. And less so about, like, the administrative side of publicizing your business. Yeah, I don't do that at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it, my conversation with my old friend, my old bandmate, Mike Bardzik. If you're in Pennsylvania or anywhere near Pennsylvania, you want to record with someone great, record with Mike Bardzik. He's fucking great again thank you to punknews.org for partnering with me on this into oblivion series thank you to all of you for listening and uh yeah 
Dividedheaven.com. Pre-order the new record, baby. Let's get it. All right, I'll see you all next week.